In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Every three years, this text rolls around. It is probably the preeminent evangelism text that we have, the story of Jesus calling his disciples. And he goes along, sees Peter, Andrew, James, John, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Now, I've focused before, in years past, on the fishing, and uh, I, I needed to consult with Jack Stevens on this, because he's the, he's the fisherman. And I, when Deborah wants to know about fishing, she goes to Jack. So I'll, I'll have to check this out with you, Jack. There's things that you need to do. That you need to know where to go, right? The right spot. You need to know what time, time of the day, time of the season, what bait you're going to use. You've got to be persistent. Is that, all, is that all right, Jack, so far? Okay. Well, I concentrated on that before with fishing for people. But this year when I looked at the text, I, I, I saw it a little bit different. And that is the importance of being asked. The importance of being asked. I read an uh, article about a former Speaker of the House, Thomas Tip O'Neill, who was in public life for 60 years. And uh, he was talking about the first time he ever ran for public office as a young man. And it was the election was the next week. And his neighbor, Mrs. O'Brien, said to him, Thomas, I am going to vote for you next week, even though you did not ask me. And Tip O'Neill says, well, well Mrs. O'Brien, I've mowed your lawn and shoveled your walk for 18 years. I didn't think I would have to ask you to vote for me. And Mrs. O'Brien said, Thomas, let me tell you something. People like to be asked. Yes, they do. And I was thinking uh, back this week about one of the uh, nurses that I used to work with on the intensive care unit. And uh, she's a wonderful young nurse uh, named Megan. And I was dealing with the family. The patient really couldn't respond. And I was talking to the family in there. And Megan came in, and she was so solicitous of him. And she would say to him, Now, Mr. Smith, I'm, I'm going to roll you over a little bit. Would that be okay? And you didn't, couldn't respond. And she did that. And I, I need to suction your mouth out. Uh, will that be all right? And I, I'm wondering if you could breathe a little better if I prop this pillow up under your head. Is that okay? She kept asking him, even when he couldn't respond. His family was there, and so forth, and I was there. But what she did was to show respect for this elderly man. She did not just treat him like a piece of meat that she had to flip over on the grill and then get to something else. You know, he, he was, he was a, a valuable, worthwhile human being. She treated him as such. And I thought, that is, that is so good. It really was. And it started me thinking about uh, the elderly a little bit. Since I'm becoming more elderly, I think about it more. And how the elderly are treated. And sometimes I, I see what happens is that the elderly folks in not only this congregation but elsewhere are not asked to do anything. And I think that we kind of get to the point of saying, well, you know, they've put in their time and so, you know, we don't want to burden them and so we, we don't ask them anything. But what it really does is simply send the message to the elderly, you know, you're not worth much anymore. You're useless and uh, invisible. And I don't think that's a good thing. I really don't. 
And on the other end of the scale, the age scale, we've got children who are oftentimes not asked things. They're just told. Now, as I said last Sunday, if you have a two-year-old, you don't ask them stuff because the answer is always no. So, but I mean, there are other ages where you can do that. And I read a little story about uh, a young man. His mother and his grandmother and he were in the restaurant. And the waitress came. Grandma put in her order. Uh, Mom put in her order. She said, now I'll order for him. And the waitress kind of ignored her and turned to the young man and said, now, what would you like, young man? And he said, oh, uh, I'd like a hamburger. She said, well, do you want ketchup and onions and the works? He said, yeah, oh, yeah, the works. And then she turned around and barked out the order to the cook. She gave grandma's order, mom's order, and she said, and a hamburger with the works. And the little boy looked up at his mom and said, gee, mom, she thinks I'm real. <laughs> Otherwise, maybe he was just invisible. So people like to be asked. Jesus came along and asked the disciples. He, in, he was invitational. He invited them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And that was something that the disciples had no idea how this would turn out or how exciting it would be and how meaningful that would be. But there it was. So people, people like to be asked. And I, I look at this from another angle. There are opportunities that are opened up a lot of times by people asking you things. For example, when I was a freshman in college, the uh, choir director asked me if I would try out for a musical that they were going to do. And I said, well, okay. So I tried out and was in the musical, Bye Bye Birdie. And the next year I was in another one. And then when I moved to Muncie, I, I was in several musicals. I like music. So I, and that, that opened that opportunity for me. And when my kids were young, somebody asked me, would you like to help with uh, coaching bitty basketball for the second, third graders? And I said, okay. They said, you played a lot of sports. Why, why, would, would you, I, okay. So that led into coaching basketball and then coaching football and coaching Little League Baseball and coaching my daughter's softball, which were all great opportunities to interact with my kids. And the reason that I did all that was because somebody asked me. I give you an example closer to home. Sixteen years ago, give or take, I was sitting in my office as the nicotine dependency counselor at that time at Ball Hospital. The phone rang and a voice said, Hi, this is Dick Zarcy. I'm the president of the congregation over here at the Lutheran Church in Alexandria. We've got an interim coming, but we've got about five Sundays where we don't have any coverage. Can you do some pulpit supply for us? Help us out with that. And I was so stunned because I wasn't on anybody's pulpit supply list. Nobody in the ELCA knew who I was. And I was so stunned, I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, well, which, which of these five Sundays could you do? You remember this discussion? And I said, um, all of them. He said, well, great. <laughs> that, that, that makes it a lot easier. So I came over and did those five Sundays. And then George Salaus, the, the interim pastor, said in the spring, I'm getting my knee worked on. How about you, you want to try out doing a couple services again? I said, okay. He asked me. So I did it again. And he said, do you still like it? Yeah. Well, how about this? How about, how about we get together and talk about this? I think this congregation could could use a, a part-time minister if we had a good, a good match here. I said, okay, we'll meet. So he says, how many hours a week do you work at that hospital? And I said, 44. He says, so you got some time. All right, that's good. And, and then, then we, we had a meeting. And remember the meeting was out there in the lounge? And we, we just kind of 
ironed things out and said, how much time you got? Oh, this is what I can do. And he said, okay. That was, that was uh, you know, 15 and a half years ago. Because somebody asked. Five and a half years ago, I was sitting over at St. John. They were trying to decide what to do. They had a, I was the vacancy pastor. They didn't have anybody. And we sat around the table and they said, uh, got any part-time ministers? They said to Rudy, the assistant to the bishop, he said, points at me, he says, well, there's one. And they turned to me and said, well, how about you? <laughs> I said, I'd have to think about that. I already got two jobs. And I thought about it. And I said, that would work out, you know. The reason I was there, because they asked. Another area of people asking is when something tragic happens. Somebody gets divorced, somebody loses their job, death of a loved one, something, something terrible happens. And people are afraid to ask the person how they're doing and how they're feeling because they don't want to make them feel worse and tear the scab off that they think is already formed. But the person might really want to talk about this. But nobody asks them. And they don't want to ask anybody to listen to them because they think, well, you know, I don't want to burden them. And, you know, they probably think I'm just being a wuss anyway. So nobody asks. And it is what writer Michael Simpson calls the horse on the dining room table. They got this big animal laying on the dining room and everybody pretends like it's not there. Somebody needs to ask, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you getting along? And even if they don't respond well to it, maybe they don't want you to ask, but you should ask anyway, because that's probably what they need. So being asked is important. And now we come to, now we come to evangelism at our church. And we had a meeting, uh, coincidentally enough, we had a meeting last Thursday night about evangelism. We're having another one in a week and a half, Thursday, 6 o'clock. Everybody invited. And it's about how we are available to the community, to people who are unchurched. And, you know, we can do a lot of things, and we're going to toss around different ideas with our website and Facebook and social media and do this and that. But eventually, you know what it comes down to? Somebody asked. How did you get here, by the way, Deb, at this church? Somebody asked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you get here, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. She asked, would you take me to church? And now you're here. How, how did people get here? Somebody asked. The Christian church is one of the few organizations, maybe the only one, whose purpose is that it exists almost solely for the sake of its non-members. That's our mission. Our mission is to share the love of Christ. And sometimes we may even have to use words to do that. To share the love of Christ to people. Yes, it means being hosp to have hospitality when people show up. But it also means to be invitational. There's no substitute for that. People want to be asked. Let's ask them. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.